Morning. How are we doing? Ooh, there we go. Calm the nerves to start off with. Uh, I love it when uh, when God brings a cricket-based encouragement. <laughs> More Lord. Um, today, uh, today we're going to be in Genesis 25. So, a bit of a spoiler. It's the last one of the Abraham series. Abraham dies. I know, I know. But God's got quite a lot to say through this passage, which I will try to keep on time. Um, So, Genesis 25, verses 1 to 11. Abraham had taken another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Latushites, and the Lumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanok, Abida, and Eldar. These were the descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Belahoyroi. What we see in this passage, and what I'm certainly going to be highlighting today, is two aspects. We see God's faithfulness, and we see Abraham's service. Firstly, I want to look at actually God's long-term faithfulness. What we see here in, in verses 1 to 4 I don't want to read them again. There are so many names to trip over. But what we see is we see a genealogy. We see what goes on further down the line in the future. We see with, actually, the narrator of this passage, a few hundred years later, because we think it's Moses, um, Moses can look back and he can see these are the tribes, these are the nations, these are the people who came from those descendants. We see it, actually, in the rest of this chapter as well. We see the the sons of Ishmael, and we see the the children of Isaac. We see God's faithfulness to the promises he gave Abraham. Because we can look back on it, we can look back in history, and we can say, we can follow those lines, and we can see, actually, God did what he said he would do. God was faithful to Abraham. God also said... In Genesis 15 and 17, he'd said about Isaac and the descendants of Isaac inheriting the promised land. And really, kind of the rest of Scripture is about seeing those descendants and seeing them in that promised land. We see that God is faithful to his word. And that is how the author is trying to highlight it in this package. It kind of sandwiches, he sandwiches verses kind of 4 to 11, that's sandwiched in between genealogies, because the author is trying to say, look at how faithful God is. And so it's easy for us 
to look back and say, God did what he did. That's obvious. Look how faithful God was. For Abraham, though, Abraham didn't have that. He couldn't say, I can guarantee, you know, let's have a look. Let's pick one. Jokshan. Jokshan looks like he's going to be the father of nation. You know, he, he looks prolific. Who knows? But that, that wasn't how Abraham saw it. Abraham had to trust God. And so another aspect of God's faithfulness in this is God's immediate faithfulness. That faithfulness to Abraham that occurred during Abraham's lifetime and, and even his death. In verses 7 to 10, God say, or the scripture says, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. The field Abraham bore from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Now, this reflect Genesis 15, verses 15, which I'm sure you all remember from months and months ago. And that says, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. This is what God says to Abraham in chapter 15. And what we see here is the mirroring of that. It's underlining the point. God said it all those chapters ago, 10 chapters ago. And now we see it outworked. Actually, Abraham died at a good old age. 175 is not bad. Um, and he died, actually, at a peaceful time. What we also see in Abraham's life is we see how God promised Isaac, a child of promise in Genesis 17, when Abraham was as good as dead, when Sarah and him were beyond the point of childbearing, God gave him a child. And, and we see that working out. In fact, we see it here that Isaac is named as Abraham's sole heir. But what's cool as well is God pulled Abraham out of a land. He, he pulled him out of Ur of the Chaldeans to come into this land, which he said, you'll inherit. And Abraham doesn't see that in his lifetime, but we see the hint of it. We see the start of it because of where Abraham was buried. Abraham, it's almost like, it's almost like a step of faith, if you can say that, about where he's buried. It is a step of faith to say, I want my remains to be in this land, the land that God promised, because he could have been taken back to his people. He could have been gathered. He could have been returned to Ur of the Chaldeans, where he came from, where his family would have been. When he died, he could have been taken back there. But actually, what Abraham's saying, in being buried in the promised land, he's saying, this is where my people are. It is a step of faith to say, actually, I believe that what God has said about my descendants inheriting this land, I believe that's true. And so he's going to be buried in that cave. It is the first bit of the land that Abraham's descendants own. It's his grave, but it's also a marker. It's a step of faith saying, this is what God has promised. And we see uh, we see Jacob, we see Joseph, we see them 
request to have their remains taken up out of Egypt and brought to the promised land. Their remains, they wanted to go to the land of promise. It is a statement of faith that he does that. But again, Abraham died not seeing the fulfillment of that promise in totality. He doesn't see his descendants inherit the land. He doesn't see his descendants become a nation. He lives in faith of what God is doing. But he lives in faith because he has seen the faithfulness of God throughout his life, even all the way down to the end, even down to the point of his death. He sees what God has told him will come to, ha- come to pass, happens. And so even in his death, even his statement of where he will be buried, it's a statement of trusting in the faithfulness of God. So we've flown through and we've seen actually the faithfulness of God to Abraham in these sections of verses. But what I want to draw us to as well is actually... Abraham's life of service. And we see in, in verses 5 to 6, let me go back to them. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the son of his concub- sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Finally, Abraham has got it. It's like, it's just, it's all clicked all of a sudden. Abraham has, and we've seen him throughout, throughout the life of Abraham. We've, he has this incredible way of just muddying the water, of just getting it that little bit wrong. And we see in, we see in Genesis 20, we see Abraham with Abimelech. And Sarah, we, Abraham's been promised he's going to have a son in his old age. So... They go to a different land, and Abraham goes, hmm, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of worried for myself, because Sarah's pretty, 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 and, you know, they might kill me in order to marry her, so I'm just going to tell them she's my sister, and it's, it's not quite a lie, just going to leave out she's my wife. And so Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife. Now, if you wanted to raise questions about, you know, the father of the child that you're going to inherit, you might, that's going to inherit everything, you might kind of go, eh, wasn't your wife the wife of another man for a point? Now, thankfully, nothing happened. And there is no question on Isaac's, you know, fatherhood or anything like that. But Abraham could have brought all that into question. He could have muddied the waters because he wasn't living that life of service. He was more concerned about himself. He was more concerned about what's going to happen to me instead of actually God is going to work out his promises. God's going to work out what he said. We see in these verses, Abraham has stopped muddying the waters. Instead of keeping all the children from his different concubines around in this area, so then the people of the area could kind of go, well, you're Abraham's son and you might inherit the land and but you're also Abraham's son, so maybe you inherit. Actually, Abraham makes it pretty clear. He says, I'm going to have one sole heir, and that heir is Isaac. That heir, 
He is the one that God has promised the land to. He is the one who has been promised the covenant will follow down through. All that is God, God has promised will come through Isaac. And so Abraham says, right, let's make this evident. So what he does is he sends his sons out. It's not, it's not a heartless thing, though. He's not saying to them, you know, I don't like you, get out. Actually, Abraham's using like a bit of a legal loophole. He goes, you know, you're not going to inherit anything. You guys aren't my heirs. But here are loads of gifts. Before I die, have loads of stuff and be well equipped to go out. We, we see throughout the story of Abraham, actually, he, he likes his sons from the other mothers. He, he actually quite likes Ishmael. He feels bad when Ishmael has to be sent away. He does love his children. And so it's not disliking them and sending them away. But what he's doing is he's saying, I believe what God has said will come to pass. And I'm going all in for that. Isaac is the heir. This is what God is doing. And this is what God has said. What we see is actually God fulfills Abraham's name. He does make him father of nations. All these different nations, actually from, from different mothers as well, spread around. But God is working and going to work through Isaac. But again, Abraham didn't see the fulfillment. He didn't see what happened to all the Israelites. He didn't have this. He had to go on the faithfulness that God had shown him. And Hebrews 11, some of you might have seen this coming. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 16. says this, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What we see in the life of Abraham is we see a life, we see a life of service to God. God's called him out of his homeland, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He said to Abraham, I want you to move out of towns and buildings, come and live in a tent as a foreigner somewhere else. And 
hinder being a wealthy foreigner, but that doesn't necessarily make it much easier when you're having to go between different places, when you don't have a land of your own, when you're going between pastures and you've got money and people go, how dare he come here and take all our pasture and all our money. There could be hostility between locals as well, but let me tell you, being a shepherd, living in a tent, that's, that is service. We, um, we went for a three-night camping holiday uh, this summer on a farm. And sheep are not quiet at all. They, in fact, they're like a cross between a teenager and a toddler because they stay up late, bleating and barring and being loud, and then they get up early and they let you know about it. And thrown into that mix, something worse than a sheep is a toddler. Yeah, yeah, they're loud and they're cranky. And we managed three nights and just survived. Just. Um, Abraham had a life of this. Abraham was called out into this, to living in tents, to looking after sheep. But he served God. He laid his life down. He didn't necessarily do what his family expected. Because he knew God and he trusted God. And even more, as a life of service, Abraham lived for those coming after him. He didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. He didn't see how his descendants would inherit the land. But Abraham laid down his life, lived his life, in order that those coming after would see that. They would see the faithfulness of God. So the story of Abraham isn't it isn't about Abraham being the hero. It isn't about us looking at Abraham and being like, he's awesome. The story of Abraham is about an awesome God who works with fallible, broken people to bring good, to bless people. And what's incredible is Abraham's like a hero of the faith and he laid down his life. What is amazing is that when God came to be among us, he lived a life of service. God didn't come and demand we bow down. God came as the son of a carpenter. God came as a man who lived in poverty. And God lived as a man who washed other people's feet. And ultimately, God died. God died so that others would benefit. Jesus died so that others would live, so that we might live. That life of service, well, God did it too. In Philippians 2, if I can find it. Hey. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Jesus served because he had his eyes set on what was ahead. He knew what was coming for, for the joy set before him. He served and he endured. And this is such a difference to what our culture tells us. Just the, uh, just the other day, I saw, I saw a, a poster that recruiting for the armed forces, and it had the, the catchphrase, be the hero of your own story. And, and Charlie mentioned it last week in passing, that phrase, be the hero of your own story. And that is what our society preaches to us. You know, if you, if you were pretending to be a superhero, you'd be, you'd be Batman. And then you might, you might bully a sibling into being Robin, but nobody wants to be Alfred. No one wants to be the butler, do they? It's it, the idea of serving in order to allow Batman to be the hero. Nobody wants to be that. But our society tells us, actually, if you're not the hero, you're nothing. If your life doesn't add up to something awesome, if you don't become rich, if you don't live your best life, if you're not an influencer, if you aren't a gold medal Olympian, if you aren't both a full-time mum and a full-time employee, if you aren't a worship leader or an elder or if you aren't achieving, then you're nothing. Then you failed. That sense of one life, live it. Make sure you get the most out of life. Even if that means stepping on others. Even if that means you elevate yourself by putting others down. We're taught in a culture about selfish ambition. That all that matters is you. And that can be a pressure. That can be something that people struggle with. That can be a weight upon shoulders when people suddenly think, what am I doing with my life? Have I achieved it? Classically, people around my age, mid-30s, this is about the time they rethink their life. Mid-30s, people sit down, statistically, most often, and go, I need to retrain. What I've been doing in that first part of my life, I've done it all wrong. I need to achieve more. I need to do more. They rethink things. But what we see in the story of Abraham, we see a life of service. We see someone laying down their life so that others would benefit. And we see in Jesus, God himself laying down his life so that we would benefit, so that we would be adopted, so that instead of us being the hero of the story and the pressure that goes with it, he is the hero of our story. And that frees us. That lifts the weight. We, as the children of God, were his children. It's no longer about us being the head. It's no longer about us achieving everything we can. It's about us being children before the Father, welcomed in and freed. It means we can live for each other. It means that without selfish ambition, we encourage other people who may be more gifted than us. 
They may be doing something that we'd want to do, but we just want to encourage them. We want to build them up. We want to live as a community that's different to the world, where we can live in order that those after us would be blessed. Abraham finished well. He did. He ended his life well. He laid it down, but he put a clear marker and said, I'm believing God. And that's what we want. We want to believe God so that those generations after us, that they will feel equipped, that they would feel that they've been served well by the generations that came before them, that they've been discipled well, that they learned the lessons. Instead of just having generations aiming for themselves, we also, we aim for that same heavenly city as, as Abraham did. We are looking forward to a future with God. It's not like that, that phrase, one life, live it. If you've not filled that life full, you've missed out. Well, actually, we've got an eternity with God in a new heaven and a new earth. And I can, I can tell you now, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much better than this. And so does it matter if you've not traveled the whole world in this lifetime? But instead, you've decided to go to church on Sundays. You've decided to say, I'm going to restrict how much I travel because I want to be part of a family. I want to be part of a church. We're living for something greater. This now isn't it. And we don't need to live like it is. We can live knowing that we're going to have eternity. And that's mind-blowing because, you know, you can't count it on a clock. I can't imagine what that's like. But it's great. It's amazing. But it also means we can lay down our lives. It's not about us putting ourselves first. It's not about us achieving everything. It's not about us having that pressure of saying at the end of our lives, I did it. You know, I ruled the world. I achieved everything. It's about us laying down our lives so that others will be served, others will be loved, and that love amongst us reflecting to a world the love of God. And we do that because we've seen the faithfulness of God in our lives. I think It'd be fair to say everybody who's a Christian here today will have testimony about what God has done in their lives, how God has been good to them, how God has spoken. For, for us, actually, my son, you know, God, God spoke to us. It wasn't easy getting there, but somebody came up to us at a meeting we didn't expect and said, I think God wants to help you with fertility issues. And that next month, we were pregnant, having tried for three years. God was faithful to us. And we have these testimonies. And so we can trust in him. If God is good to us in this life now, how much better is it going to be when there's a new heaven and a new earth? Let us live like Abraham to finish well, to serve those God has put with us.
So I'm going to, actually, I want to finish today. Um, I want to I finish, not by praying, but by reading Revelation 21. So if the band want to come up, we'll, uh, we'll do some worship after this. But I want to read Revelation 21, because this points us to that same city that Abraham was focused on. Abraham died not seeing the promises fulfilled, but he died in faith for what was to come. And so I want to read Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children.'" 